For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. This episode is brought to you by our fantastic patron supporters, who are essentially our citizen producers. So thank you. Your contribution paid this week's guest host and made it possible for us to make the show. So huge, huge thanks. And it's particularly amazing because this week's episode is so nice. (laughs) It is pure joy from start to finish. If we learn from the trees and the way they work together, if we learn from the bees and how they plan for the future, we can make the world a whole lot better. These are the words of Nadala Barker, your guest host, made up as she went along singing to her garden. I met Nadala at an event in January. It was the first in-person thing I'd been to in many, many months, and it was amazing, put on by the Australian fashion label Spell and the Climate Council. And you'll know all about those guys from sponsorship of our last series. Anyway, Nadala was a guest, and after dinner she'd been invited to sing. And honestly... She was just electric. From the first note, I was just transfixed by her energy, her voice, her words, everything. So afterwards, I ran up to her and persuaded her to join the Pass the Mic series. Even though it was all planned already and all done, I just had this really strong instinct that it would be worth it. You have to sing, I told Nadala. Can we make that work? Well, she told me, every morning I sing to my plants. (laughs) You what? I said. I welcome them, she told me. I thank them. So I asked her, do they talk back? Do they appreciate it? She just looked at me like, of course. (laughs) We all know plants talk. You're going to hear Nadala sing live to her garden, to the bees, to the trees and the worms, followed by a highly energising and utterly delightful conversation with another Australian plant enthusiast in the form of regenerative organic farmer, Kobe Bloom. Kobe's also a forager a weed lover (laughs) and a fan of the wild garden. And they recorded this in person in Byron Bay. I was thinking about how when I started this podcast, I was absolutely obsessed with and remain so being original and first. I feel like if you're going to make work, it has to be original. You want to be putting something out there that people haven't discovered before. And I think this exemplifies that in kind of a beautiful way. We've had loads of big names on this show who've never done a podcast before, but This might be someone you've never come across before, Nadala. And yet, it's just as unique and special. She's never sung on a podcast before. She's never hosted a podcast before. And maybe you've never heard her work before, but I'm sure that if this is your first introduction to Nadala, it will not be your last. She's a superstar in the making, and her first EP lands in April. Find her on Instagram at Nadala Barker, N-I-D-A-L-A. Find Kobe at Wilder Way. And you can find us and all the show notes and links, as usual, on thewardrobecrisis.com. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to this special edition episode of Wardrobe Crisis. My name is Nadella Barker and I'll be your host today. Before we begin, I want to pay my respects to the Bundjalung people, the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording this podcast, as well as all the other custodians, past, present and future, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, in Australia and overseas, I want to say thank you to all those who have cared for our land, to those who continue to do so, and welcome to those who are still learning. I'm a musician, a gardener, and Aboriginal Australian from the Jugan people of the Kimberley. I have a master's degree in sustainability, a thriving veggie patch, and last year I self-recorded my first single 
called Howl at the Moon in a 40 degree garden shed. So that's a little bit about who I am. Most of all, I am thrilled that I have been given this opportunity to share with you a little bit of the magic that drives this certainty I have that our planet is going to get better. And to help me do this, I will be joined by Kobe Bloom, a forager, regenerative farmer, and hopeful educator whose knowledge on plants and general perspective on life, frankly, never ceases to amaze me. But before she joins us, I want to take you with me to do something a little bit different. Some of you may know that it is custom for Aboriginal Australians to welcome and acknowledge each other before we begin anything. I've taken this tradition and I've given it a spin of my own. Every morning, I go out into my garden and I improvise a song for all my plants and for the insects and all the living things that I share this space with. I ask them to come and meet me in this place that we share and to help me create, to help me find solutions. And today, I want to bring you with me. Toes, see, I see you Somewhere between purple and blue Your flowers like lovers to the bees Bright red skin and plum to the brim A vine that climbs your sweetness on my mind But please Take your time Worms I see there Wiggling bombs in the air Finding your way back home To the soil Sit it down Beneath my Toes Me Me in This place we are building together We can make the world A whole lot better A gentle breeze Morning dew dancing with these leaves Kingfisher on the power line Your tail feathers are the shine In this morning line Marigold, I was told I probably wouldn't see you here But look at you Read me in this place We are building together We can make the world a whole lot better Sweet sunlight, sounds delight Birds flying back from their nighttime flight I wonder where they've been it has me thinking where the sun will be traveling and where it will end. Through ears and hands and to learning hands, I hope you'll join me here. Meet me in this place we are building together. We can make the world. A whole lot better if we learn from the trees and the way they work together. If we learn from the bees and they plan for the future. If we learn from the roots, holding things steady. If we eat like the worms, getting the soil ready, making fertile ground where things can grow. 
let's grow again. Meet me in this place we are building together. We can make this world a whole lot better. Yes, meet me in this place we are making together. We can make this world a whole lot better. Welcome, everyone. And welcome to you, Kobe. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. I'm so excited that you can be my partner in getting people stoked about plants. If we can start by you just describing to everyone listening where we are. We're sitting in my living room just outside of Byron Bay. There's an amazing spot that is out of the way of the traffic noise and all the hustle and bustle and it's very green and there's a little bit of farmland and a little bit of bushland and the property I'm on is really really beautiful. We've got an amazing view out the living room window down into the valley towards a beautiful dam and the papaya tree outside and yeah the sun's yeah. And we happen to be incredibly colour coordinated to the space we're both wearing greens and yellows and green. Lots of organic fibres. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Now, Cobes, you are a regenerative farmer. Can you explain to us what that means and why it is that you've chosen that path? A regenerative farmer, I guess in my words, is somebody who has decided to give back just as much as they take or give back more than they take from the land, Um, which means that it's actually a sustainable practice of growing food and not just food, also fuel and different kinds of living materials as well. And then also it's not new. It's definitely not a new concept. It's an ancient concept. People have been farming regeneratively using permaculture style skills for since the dawn of time, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So really it's it's farming the land and giving back as much as you take. Yep. Beautiful. Exactly. And another thing that you are is a forager. Now can you explain to us what foraging is? Yes. Foraging is for me, I am pretty uh, obsessed with foraging, particularly things that we call weeds, plants that we call weeds. Mm-hmm. And I use them as food and as fibre and different kinds of materials in my life. But the food that I pick that are what we call weeds, I also do that regeneratively. So I don't take anything more than what I need. And I always make sure that I try to proliferate the supply of whatever's there by spreading seed or putting more cuttings in or whatever it is I need to do to make sure I'm not taking too much. But... Yeah, foraging is basically taking from a wild environment, something that you didn't plant, something that's growing there organically, naturally, surviving somewhere, and you're taking that and you're creating a relationship with that environment by either ingesting it or using it in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I suppose this as well is a practice that's really ancient, right, is that Mm -hmm. a lot of First Peoples around the world have foraged to survive. 
since the beginning of time, right? Like I know that Aboriginal people in Australia weren't, for the majority of them, farmers. They were people who went out, and I know this is true for my people, would forage berries, would forage vines and roots and live off what the environment gave them. And that actually made, well, according to my family, made them very resilient because Mm. the seasons gave them what they needed. You know, they found that the garbage berry, for example, which is really high in vitamin C, blooms when it's cold. And, you know, now a lot of people take vitamin C supplements when it's winter so to reinforce their immune system. So it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, coconuts bloom when it's really hot and they're a great source of electrolytes. So it's taking from our environment what our environment already knows what to give us, right? Exactly. I love it. I love that so much. And I think that's something that so many people are fairly disconnected from, not because they're not interested, but just because it's not something that's in their focus from day to day. And yeah, basically the the wild food that's growing around us is providing us with, like it's providing us with the food or the nourishment that we need at exactly that time, that time of year from that particular ecosystem. So if it's growing in my backyard, then it's adapted to the weather that happens here and, you know, whether it's the rainfall or the different types of pollens in the air or the different types of nutrients in the soil and essentially you're ingesting that and you're creating your own microbiome as well Mm. and you're also increasing your immune system for that particular area at that particular time of year and is foraging just for plants (laughs) can you forage other things um so this is particularly appropriate for this channel thank you so much for having me by the way i'm Mm -hmm. really stoked to be here yeah not just for plants the way i see myself as a forager i've been foraging forever I suppose foraging plants forever I used to forage as a child my mum encouraged that and my mum is also a permaculture design consultant and a teacher as well so that's also where I learnt regenerative farming but I also as a child used to find other things like clothes Mm. in op shops and garage sales and I've done that forever as long as I can remember going to all sorts of markets and things and and collecting clothes and finding things that were so unique and so interesting and that had been loved already and had a story and they had this quality that I couldn't... It was something that I just couldn't quite find in a store from something that was new and made. Mm. Um, Yeah, so forager as well in in my fashion life and in my furniture. I go to all sorts of garage Mm. sales and up shops and then I also find things on the side of the road and yeah but I really enjoy beautiful things that have a bit of soul so and now if we kind of jump through this comparison of you know these things that you find and these clothes that you forage have something more than you know what you would could buy at a shop is that true for weeds as well in nature absolutely yes it's so true Weeds are like the survivors. They're often like the refugees Mm. of the land. So many weeds that we have here in Australia are actually from, say, Northern Europe or the UK. They came over with settlers. And as we clear-cut land to make farmland and pasture for our animals and things like that, basically we expose the soil and we spread these seeds 
through the dung of the animals and through our clothes and etc and these plants actually what they are made to do these amazing plants that are so resilient and so strong and prolific they pop up where the soil needs it absolutely the most so a weed is also something that is an indicator to us of what the soil is lacking in that exact area so for example the bracken fern you see a lot of bracken growing in a particular area it means there's been potentially a, a fire and the bracken fern is there to actually refix phosphorus back into the soil so it's just a sign of what's missing from that environment when these weeds pop up and because they're so resilient and so strong they have the strongest immune systems of plants they're not like a regular vegetable that we plant in our backyard and we give it compost or like beautiful easy soil and we water them every day and we give them nutrients and love these plants are surviving on the bare minimum a lot of the time they're growing between cracks in the pavement you know they're growing in super hot super condensed spaces and they're really really struggling and they that gives them absolutely the most amount of immunity and when you consume that when you eat that you're also absorbing that immunity you're absorbing that like super plant power straight into your own yeah the resilience you're yeah. actually you are what you eat yeah mm. and what happens if we don't pull out weeds <sighs> good question <laughs> if we don't pull out weeds they do their job for example, the dandelion. So straight away, the dandelion has this incredible root on it. If anyone's ever pulled out a dandelion, you'll know it's kind of hard to do. And they have this tap root on it, which is kind of like a carrot root because they're in a sort of similar family. And that tap root has the ability to mine all kinds of minerals from deep in the soil. And they can actually absorb micronutrients that other types of roots can't absorb. So they're bringing a lot more different nutrient quality up into their leaves. And then as those leaves die, they're depositing it on the top of the soil so that normal plants can absorb it in a completely transmutable way. So they're making it easier for other plants to grow. So their, their job is essentially to also with that root to allow as the root dies or as it evolves to create water pathways and new types of bacterial colonies and um, fungal colonies and they're communicating with other plants and giving them extra nutrients as well there's literally so many functions to weeds that survive in really challenging environments yeah so if we don't pull them out they're actually just doing their job I feel like listening to you speak, I really feel like weeds epitomise everything that we miss out on seeing in plants in general, yeah. that, you know, beyond the fact that they serve a purpose, that they just hold an incredible value just inherently to themselves. And I think for me, my passion is around food waste and I see that so much around food waste is just, you know, mm. just to give you guys some facts at home is that, you know, one third of all food produced in the world goes to waste. That's about half of all the fruit and vegetable produced, half just gets thrown away and wasted. And, you know, it kind of goes beyond, you know, the actual fruit that's getting wasted. It's also all the resources that go into growing them, particularly when they're not growing in environments that they naturally belong in. Like in Australia, we grow rice in the desert. 
which makes no sense at all. And, you know, just to give you guys some more perspective, like one burger is the equivalent in water of a 90-minute shower. And so it's more than just, you know, you're throwing away food that's not good. You're wasting not just the burger, but all the resources that have gone into making it. And then, you know, if we can kind of expand that even further, Mm -hmm. it's that it doesn't just end when we throw away the burger. It's also what happens afterwards. And I think an important point to make is just that we often associate, you know, particularly with food waste, that it looks the same as if you were to throw an apple core out your window into the ground. And then that's kind of how things would decompose in landfill when we throw them out. But that's not actually the truth, is that, as you said, there's this incredible biome that happens in nature and there's bugs that come and eat it and there's birds that come and nibble on it. In landfill, a head of lettuce will take 25 years to decompose because it's removed from these natural environments. And so I think that there's all these kind of things that add on little by little, particularly with food waste, that just kind of exponentially grow on each other. And as part of my research during my master's, I did this experiment called the pineapple experiment, which you're familiar with, Kobe, because I I have spoken to you about this many times and it's one of the basis of our friendships. But for all you guys at home who haven't necessarily heard of my famous pineapple experiment, which me and my three examiners read, is... I asked a whole group of people to pick on a spectrum of pictures of pineapples when they would stop eating it. And so it went from 1 to 10. The first one was, you know, a crisp, brand-new pineapple, and the last had mould on it. And I would ask people to rate, whereabouts would you stop eating it? And people would generally fall around the 4 to 6 mark. That was my biggest group. I would then tell them the magical stories of pineapples. Now, pineapples are incredible plants, and for anyone listening who has a little bit of spare time, go and Google pineapples. They are some of the most incredible plants that exist, in my humble opinion. And I would just sit them down and talk to them about these pineapples for 10 minutes. And at the end of the 10 minutes, I'd ask them to look at the same pictures and rate them again. When would you stop eating them? 90%, more than 90% of my focus group would choose pictures two to more points higher than previously which means that people were more likely to eat a pineapple that had gone a little bit soft now that they knew how incredible and magical of a plant that was now i know how that makes me feel and i'm sure you guys can hear it in the tone of my voice how does this speak to you Kobe? oh man i just i love the research that you did i love that your thesis was on these beautiful magical things to do with nature and by the way, Nini and I know each other because she and I worked together. She came and showed up with her beautifulness and um, we worked in a beautiful garden together and she brought so much, so much into my life, just generally been into the garden and I was able to share a sense of wonder with, with you as well and we really like, it was a beautiful environment. It was really inspiring. So anyway, back to the question. <laughs> How does that resonate with me? I have this deep sense of how important this conversation is that we're having right now. And even if it is just to make a few people stop and think about how incredible plants are in general, when people have a sense or connection to plants, whether it's their food or just a tree in nature, they really do have so much more consideration for that particular being They have more consideration as to where they buy it or how much of it they eat, like you said, 
or what they do when they're disposing of it or even like how much time and energy they invest in making sure that they are contributing to the betterment of plants in general so this conversation about just getting people excited and interested about their food and nature in general it's just it can't be enough it's just it's such a beautiful standpoint to hear you say that to just kind of go through there and instead of you know functioning around guilt or saying like you haven't used a reusable cup or you're doing the wrong thing of instead to go let's share in this magic and help protect this thing that we can all see is absolutely wondrous Mm -hmm. and I suppose my question to you would then be is there a link between you know this hidden magic of plants and climate change Mm. it's such a big question and it's so the answer is definitely yes and we will post a link to a TED talk, a particular TED talk that I can sort of link this information to um, from the podcast. But there are some incredible scientists that have done studies on the way that trees and plants communicate in general with each other. And for example, in old growth forests and in forests in general, where there was a stand of different kinds of trees, when there was too much carbon in the atmosphere around them, or when there wasn't enough water, or when there wasn't enough of a particular nutrient or sunlight even, plants underneath the soil, they were communicating and sharing their nutrients and even taking away from other plants if they had too much of a particular toxic matter as well, not just through their roots touching, but through a whole network of fungi that lives under the soil so this incredible network of fungi and bacteria that it all works together like it needs to be there for plants to be able to communicate so yeah there's if we start to take away too many of the old growth trees in forests or if we clear cut forests or if we even cut down the trees in our own backyard or if we pull plants out by their roots and we don't leave the roots in the soil to continue with that mycelial network and all of the beautiful bacteria that they've created good bacteria by the way guys then we don't get to continually create the container for carbon that is being drawn out of the atmosphere and we also don't get to create the container for water retention in the soil and that water retention being like actually how how much water is released back into the atmosphere and gases like methane and obviously carbon dioxide being released back into the atmosphere because our soils aren't healthy when we take plants away from the soil. And I'm talking even one little bit of bare soil. You won't have that life that the soil needs underneath if you have it bare on top until you know sometimes even meters below the soil and because it's become a compacted and anaerobic environment which means there's no life there there's no Mm. life in that so there can't be the fungi or the bacteria and yeah i mean it goes on and on and there's so much amazing information out there yeah so the magic of plants (laughs) and so it seems to me what you were saying at the beginning there is that plants talk to each other yeah girl (laughs) <laughs> we have a year girl my follow-up question is um can they talk to us and why do we talk to them because obviously I, I sing to my plants quite regularly yeah obviously yeah. <laughs> can plants talk yes pl- plants do communicate with each other 
and they communicate with things like how our body communicates with our brain, like neurotransmitters. You can imagine sort of the network of nerves through our nervous system. That's kind of similar to the way, and our nerves are transmitting all of these messages to our brain and different parts of our body, our skin, everything. So exactly the same if you can imagine beneath the soil, all of those amazing sort of pathways of uh, fungi and the bacteria that's down there, like in our microbiome, in our gut, it is all talking to each other. They're trading nutrients. So the bacteria under the soil are trading sugars from the tree with different types of unlocked nutrients like minerals from the soil. So there's like this totally symbiotic relationship happening just like us with our gut bacteria. If we don't have a thriving gut flora inside of us, then we can't actually absorb so many of the nutrients, the micronutrients in our food. And that's because the bacteria in our gut is transferring the nutrients through our vascular system. We actually Mm. need them to transfer it, which is like just such amazing science. There's so much amazing science out there like that. So there's so much communication and it's, it's just everywhere around us. And yes, we can talk to plants as well (laughs) and they can talk to us. And why would we? Well, because actually, for example, would all be dead without plants <laughs> dead <laughs> um and things like oxygen are imperative to the human species <laughs> and every living species on the planet and things like nutrients in our food so food is medicine food mm. is our medicine and so if we start having conversations whether they're verbal or energetic with plants for example if you sit with a tree and you're breathing out you can imagine that tree is breathing out at the same time, but you're breathing out carbon dioxide and the tree is breathing out oxygen and the tree is breathing in your carbon dioxide and you're breathing in its oxygen. So you're doing an exchange of sorts that is like such a beautiful dance. It's such a beautiful symbiotic experience. We literally would not be alive without plants. So that's one way of communicating with them. And for example, with vegetables or plants that we eat, if you're anywhere near your food source, if you can grow your own vegetables, even if it's a, a lettuce or a parsley plant in your own backyard, you can sit anywhere near it and breathe. And plants have this amazing ability to read your breath. So they can read things like if you're unwell and they can then create and they do then create nutrients that are specifically tailored for your own particular ailment whether you have a cold or a flu or all sorts of things so plants like plants that we eat being able to grow them for ourselves is like quadrupling and even like i don't know it's like 10 times 20 times the nutrient value and and the health value to a human being and there's actually you know where where i'm from in the west kimberley you know, if we were ever sick, my nana would always tell us, like, to just go and walk into the bush and just look at the plants and one of them will tell you, eat me. And that was her way of saying, like, to find medicine and the environment around her. And I remember distinctly as a kid thinking, like, well, that's a bit left of center. Well, I don't think I'll be doing that. I have a headache. I'm not going to go out in 40-degree Kimberley heat and walk around. But as I've grown more open to that idea, I've definitely seen that kind of happening. The other day I was walking back from my car and I had the most intense migraine and without even realizing it 
by the time I got to my bed, I realised I had a sprig of rosemary in my hand, mm. which is well known to, you know, increase blood flow and particularly around the brain. And I thought, I'm quite certain that I didn't even do that consciously and I wonder when that sort of thing entered my behaviour. Mm-hmm. But obviously this is very, it's our privilege because we get to be surrounded by our gardens. Both you and I have access to space. We have access to the knowledge of knowing how to grow mm-hmm. these gardens. Can people in cities or, mm-hmm. you know, people who might be going through lockdown at the moment, can they connect with nature? And if so, yeah. how do you do it? How, you know? Oh, Nim, I, I love that question so much. And I feel like it's so, even just what you're talking about, being able to go out and have this intuitive experience of, of ending up with something in your hand or being drawn to a particular plant, anyone can develop that sense. Anybody can. It's literally just a matter of practice and exposure. It's just a matter of being there, being in an environment where there is plant life around us. So if someone is living in a city or in a suburban area, really, literally, it's as simple as putting your feet on the ground or going and looking in uh, if there's a, a lawn around you that doesn't just have grass growing in it, or if there's a beautiful tree that you look outside and it and it catches your eye, you know, to be close to a tree or a plant like that is, it's not only nourishing in just a sort of symbolic sense, it's nourishing in so many ways. For example, you know, gardening gives us access to pretty much every kind of amazing therapy that people pay a lot of money for or or go on holiday for you know when you get into a garden or if you just go down the road and find a park and put your bare feet on the soil the transference of it increases your serotonin production and the exposure even just the fresh air from being around plants that create a lot of beautiful clean air the color green Mm. is like so psychologically stimulating and and beautiful for your nervous system as well really calming and soothing to your nervous system also if you do get to garden like just being out in the sunshine being out outside if you do have a chance to be outside and i don't know what if whether you're in summer or winter at the moment i'm sure it's very different for a lot of the listeners but being outside breathing fresh air being able to get involved potentially with this is the other huge point is all over the world there are community gardens that are popping up everywhere. Even with certain restrictions, there are still you still have, can have access to community gardens as long as there's certain rules in place. And community gardens are one of the most abundant places for wellness and culture, cultural growth and expansion in terms of your internal world and your external world. So when I say culture, I mean like you're culturing your own microbiome inside of your gut when you go and you work with different types of plants and you get to have the freshness of the vegetables that are grown in that season at that time that are available to you and in your own environment, in your own ecosystem, you're actually ingesting that incredible boost to your nutrient quality in your body and then you're also culturally getting to work with other people getting to see other people and creating community and creating connection in that way as well community gardens are just amazing they're so amazing even if you just go and walk around one you don't have to become a member 
just one note on community gardens. That was my first experience with gardening in general, was going to community gardens. And there I found compost. And <laughs> I am such a fan of compost. I think it's the most fantastic thing that's ever been. I, You know, in the facts that I said before, like they can seem harsh and intense. And, you know, the truth is with compost, you can bypass that whole nasty business I was talking about around landfill. You can bypass all of that just by putting it in a compost bin instead of your regular bin. And the effect, you know, that we were talking about, the negative effect, which is so exponential, Mm -hmm. you can single-handedly turn that around just by composting. Oh, that's amazing. Can we put like a composting 101 sort of link or something in the podcast as well? Because even just like some people try to compost and then it doesn't work for them. And it's like, what did I do wrong? There are some really simple factors involved, like getting the carbon and nitrogen mixture balanced Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't become anaerobic, so that it's got lots of nice oxygen flowing through and life flowing through it. Yeah. And like... And, and another myth, you can absolutely still compost if you live in an apartment. Absolutely. You can get a bokashi bin, which literally lives on your counter. Or if you join a community garden, you can just take your food scraps there. Exactly. Um, but yes, please go on with farmer's markets because oh that's another amazing solution, right? To reconnecting with our food, to reconnecting with our environment. I just feel like farmer's markets are, I mean, again, they're this ancient traditional space for not only nourishment in all kinds of ways but also like nourishment physically and emotionally and mentally like there's every kind of nourishment you can possibly find at a farmer's market you're also nourishing your local ecosystem and your local financial system as well you're keeping finances within the hands of people especially if you buy organic food or if you talk to the farmer and they say that they're growing things regeneratively or if they're giving back and they're using compost and they're doing things in a non-conventional way. Conventional farming is not really giving back to the land because it is poisoning the land and it is neutering the land and it's just taking. So when you are handing over your money to a farmer who you know is contributing and putting back into the soil and not just taking, you're voting for that to be the future. Mm-hmm. The more money that we can invest, the more of our attention we can invest back into our community and the local farmers in our community who are doing the right thing for the planet in general. And these people are not money hungry. They are doing it for the love, Nini, not mm-hmm. for the money. Like it is hard work and there's got to be a lot of passion in your veins to try and make a living from growing food. Yeah. So not only are we nourishing ourselves and our families by buying beautiful fresh local seasonal food from our ecosystem that's full of nutrients and that's got the beautiful microbiome that we need personally for where we're living then we're also meeting the farmers meeting the people in our community we're connecting to friends we're creating an environment of celebration of nature essentially Mm. and yeah we're sharing as well and they can be the middleman you know this is a big thing like if it's feeling like a huge leap for you to join a community garden and it's not your thing, go to a farmer's market because they're in the soil and they can talk to you about it and they can, you know, introduce you to their world as well. And I really liked what you said about that it's your opportunity to vote and that's the beautiful thing. And if you guys just have one thing to take away from today is that what you put on your plate, what you decide to spend your money on is voting 
And you have an opportunity to do that three times a day. Mm. And to me, that's such a reassuring thought because even if you don't do the best job at breakfast, you have lunch. And if you mess up lunch, you have dinner and you have tomorrow as well. Mm -hmm. And it's just about making little steps. And to remember that every time you make a choice that's better for the planet, you're etching everyone forward that little bit. And I suppose that's a nice note to end it on. But I'd just like to ask you, Kobe, to tell me what is your favourite magical fact about plants? Oh, just talking about the symbiotic experience of the relationship between plants and humans, Mm. understanding that we actually need each other just as much as the other. Mm. Plants need us. They do. And we need plants so much. We are so incredibly fortunate, in even in the cities in Australia, for example, to be living amongst a fair bit of greenery. We, we really do need to start looking outside and looking into our own backyards and recognising how important and how, man, these, these creatures, these trees and plants, they're really doing a lot for us. And we really, you know, it'd just be such a beautiful, generous thing to start being grateful for that and showing it in the ways that we possibly can in our lives. Using our money as our vote is such a huge and powerful tool, Mm -hmm. you know. Growing just a few things in your own backyard that are edible and spending a little bit of time learning about how much time and energy and love it does actually take to grow plants and connecting to where your food comes from speaking to a farmer becoming just being curious going outside and having a look around and like maybe this is the perfect note to to end the this Mm. talk on is just like the curiosity that i still have and the sense of wonder that a child has for example the sense of wonder that you and i can both still tap into whatever your imagination can conjure is probably what's happening in nature. <laughs> nature is so full of magic and wonder and we are never going to be able to quantify that with science. And it's just a beautiful thing to be able to go and be nourished by that. And I really hope that people are a little bit inspired by this conversation to just have a look around and go out yeah, and feel it. Go out and feel it. Feel it, babes. Go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This yeah. was awesome. And thank you so much to everyone at home for listening. And thank you to Wardrobe Crisis for having us on. Mm. Um, yeah. Be curious about the plants because they're probably curious about you. I love you, Nini. <laughs> you're amazing thank you for listening to wardrobe crisis you can find the show notes for each episode and read our magazine over on our website www.thewardrobecrisis.com and that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters i hope you've enjoyed the show i'd love you to help us spread the word tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press. Finally, 
If you'd like to support us financially, look for Wardrobe Crisis on Patreon. There's also a link in our Instagram. But for what you'd spend on a magazine each month, you can be part of the Wardrobe Crisis Patreon community and you'll get exclusive podcast content, articles and special access. Because I love you Because I love you